Let's go back to you, though. So you're working the street, but you also talked about getting on SWAT and working undercover. So uh, which came first, SWAT or UC? So SWAT came first. And you were kind of designed for that, weren't you? You know, being a Marine and going through that training and stuff. And uh, so, but you said you were a smaller kid. When did you start to beef up, you know, and bulk out? So I couldn't break like 170. I, I didn't break like 175 my entire high school career until I got to college and I started, I got on a different program. So I was weightlifting and training for track. And then I had like, I remember hitting 180 and then it was just up from there until I went to the Marines. And then you get skinny, you like a crackhead <laughs> came out probably high school size. And then I started beefing up again because I started bodybuilding um, right before I started policing. So. How much weight did you lose going to uh, Marine basic? Oh man. I think I was like two fifteen. I was considered overweight when I went to Marine basic, which was kind of insane because I was a really fit guy and the Marine Corps standards are just ridiculous. High proportional so, to weight. Yeah. It's like, come on, it yeah. doesn't it take into account body size and structure and. Exactly. So I was probably like 215, 210 ish. And when I came out, I was 180. So I was back to like college size, but my muscles have matured more. So I just looked bad. I hated the way I looked. I was like, dude, I feel, I feel like a crackhead. <laughs> <laughs> that was just way too skinny for me. So, oh, but, but, uh, but you go from, how long did you have to be on before you could get onto SWAT? So you're supposed to be on for, um, two years at the PD before you can even try out for SWAT. And then you have like a year of probation, but my group of guys, we had a good group of guys. We call it the the Washington Clause because of one of the officers that we worked with, actually, he went through the academy with my partner. So a couple months before I graduated and we we're just like, boy, you're a golden child. Like they love you. Like everybody loves you. So they let him go out for SWAT within a year. They're like, oh, you guys can come out for SWAT. We're like, oh, oh, really? So y'all just going to waive this for him. So that's the Washington Clause. And every time they would change something. Or he was allowed to do something we call it the Washington Clause, and our freaking team leaders just hated us for it. So I was on for a year um, before I could trial for SWAT. Made the SWAT team. Ended up getting into some foolishness with my uh, my partner. Getting into a foot chase, broke my wrist. So my first couple of months on the SWAT team, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't train. Couldn't go out on SWAT rates. So I blamed him for that. <laughs> you blame him for that, but. It was you who broke. Did he break your wrist or did you break your wrist? He basically did because he didn't triangulate with our suspect. So then I had to chase him. He's behind me, so he doesn't even count. He's not even in the race. So we're chasing this guy, and this guy's just like super skinny little short guy um, going through the projects. He's like weaving through fences. I'm getting stuck. Like my vest gets caught in the fence at one point, and I just like pull the fence and rip through. He goes over a fence and I see this guy. He jumps the fence like he just barely touches it, hits the ground. I hear him just knock all the breath out of him. I'm like, hey, look at this idiot. So I go over the fence and just land flat on my face. I remember like my nose hurt and my freaking wrist hurt. And so I realized why there's something on the fence that tripped him. The same thing tripped me. And I just remember like I'm chasing him. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, dude, my wrist hurts. Like, why does my wrist hurt? It feels pretty heavy too. So we're chasing. He goes through some little skinny cut through that we can't get through and we lose him. It's like, that's the first foot chase I ever lost. It's really, it's a, the first, the first and only foot chase I ever actually lost. Now, did you ever find him like, later? Oh. No, we did not find him. So 
to this, like, okay, so to this day, if I bring it up to my partner, it still stings because that's the one we lost. So we're running and we hear dogs barking. So it's a clear indicator. Like, we're like, oh, we hear dogs barking over on, uh, over on this street. Oh, dogs over on Amos Street. Go to this street. But they never found them. You know, there's officers all in the area. My partner's like, come on, let's go. I'm like, no, nah, bro. Like, my wrist really hurts. Like, I don't know. This is weird. And my bones, like, kind of looks funny. So we go get it scanned. And they're like, oh, yeah, you broke your arm. So you have to be on light duty. My lieutenant's pissed <laughs> because now I'm off the street and, like, records. You're off the street stuff. taking reports, aren't you? <laughs> taking reports. The thing that I hate the most, <laughs> that's what I'm doing now. You're on the Muppet because squad. Man, I'm like, I'm like, oh, this is my right hand, dog. Okay, they're like, type with your left hand. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm in a hurry to get out of there. Finally get out of, uh, get out of records and start my SWAT career. So that's good. But I knew, I knew pretty much from the beginning, I wanted to be on SWAT because two of my field training officers were on SWAT. So, and I'd, I'd see all their gear and I'd see like their kit and hear their calls that they got. And I'd have to go sit with some Muppet while they were doing a SWAT raid. And I'm like, man, I got to hurry up and get on SWAT, bro. I'm missing out on everything. That's going to be one of my all. new terms. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you right now, I'm appropriating it for use in a further a Muppet. Muppet. Yeah, Muppet. <laughs> hey, Muppet, yeah. come here, Muppet. That's a good one. <laughs> that guy's a Muppet. That guy's a Muppet. Hey, well, so, but, uh, so how long, so you're on SWAT. Um, give us an idea of a couple calls that uh, really got your attention. Once you, once you could put on all, by the way, too, let me tell you something. I know what you did, too. You weren't married at that time, What's right? That? Didn't have a girlfriend? Nope. Nope. You, you put on your gear to walk around because chicks dig stuff like that. They do actually. They do dig stuff like that. I found that out too. So that was a nice bonus. There's there's uni- there's uniform chasers. Get out of something. There's uniform chasers everywhere. There are also if I ever need to get out of something, then uh, or buddies on the team would be like, "Hey man, I need you to call me and say we have a SWAT call out." So <laughs> we get out of a bunch, a bunch of stuff like you know some some girl or something you didn't really want to hang out with. It's like, man, I need to leave, but she's not one to let me leave. Like, Hey bro, just tell me we got a SWAT call out. So I had more fake SWAT call outs than (laughs) (laughs) that's saying a lot. Now Wait a minute. That says a lot more about your judgment than it does anything else. (laughs) True confessions here on game of crime. (laughs) Hey man, you gotta, you gotta do what you gotta do sometimes, you know, to help a buddy out. Yeah. Be be their wingman. You give me a call. Yeah. So, so uh, you're doing that SWAT stuff, but what what made you decide you wanted to go? Because when you start working UC, can you stay on SWAT or do you have to give up one? So I stayed on as long as I could until um, my supervisor forced me off, you know, but um, you can, but some people see it as a conflict of interest. I never witnessed a conflict of interest. It's more of just, so they would say it's kind of the, oh, we're worried that if uh, you're on narcotics, then you're going to be worried about the drugs in the house more than securing the house. So you'll try to rush in and find the drugs, stop people from flushing. That's not what we're here for. But, you know, nobody, some people would do that. But uh, all my guys on the SWAT team knew that I wouldn't do that. So there was never an issue. SWAT commander team leaders all loved to have me on. It came down to my um, narcotics supervisor that was, he didn't really like falling under a chain of command because our narcotics was separate and they kind of worked independently. Didn't have to answer to anyone except for, the chief and but whenever i was on swat as well i had a captain a major i had a couple lieutenants and sergeants at the time well you got a chain of command on swat yeah i mean it's that's regiment it's like being in the core right yep and so if those guys say no uh we need chocolate over here then he has to you know he has to 
agree with that. He can't go against them, even though they're not technically, they're not narcotics chain of command. They're still his chain of command, the PD. So he didn't like that. <clears throat> but what really drew me to the narcotics was this is the same thing. So I was riding around with some of the SWAT guys during my FTO, and they would always get called out by, you know, the, the kind of the it guys. So we had a, um, we had this unit. It was a very small specialized unit. And initially that's the unit everyone wanted to be on. You know, all the guys, they didn't want to go to narcotics. This was just a street level interdiction team. And they were like the, they were the hitters, you know, they would, they would shake people down. They would interrogate people. They were kicking doors and they were really given the narcotics guys, the majority of their, their assets. And so I remember the first time I ever saw these guys, they're playing clothes, riding around in some UC car, like three of them with just freaking full battle rattle. You know, they got on plate carriers and they got M4s and they're wearing blue jeans and like probably some nylon shirts or something. And so we pull up on these guys with one of my SWAT guys while I'm training and they have like a, this well-known prostitute. She's sitting on the ground of the car, they're waiting for a female to come out and search her. And they have a, this other guy on the other side of the car and they're searching this guy. They're just like searching them right on the middle of the street. And they're like shaking them down. And I'm standing there and I'm listening to him. He's like snitching on the whole projects. He probably told on his mama and everything. And I'm just like, who are these guys? You're like, I've never seen these dudes. They got beards and stuff. We have a strict shaving policy. Well, I've never seen these dudes at roll call. And so we leave him like, how do you know these guys? He's like, oh, he's like, that's a nip team. He's like, yeah, he's like, those are the boys right there. Those are the boys you want to be with. And so then once I got on the SWAT team, those dudes are also on the SWAT team. But their full-time job is just kicking doors, you know, chasing people down. So that's when I knew I wanted to do interdiction. That unit got absorbed by the narcotics team. So, you know, they weren't bringing it back. So obviously I wanted to go to narcotics. You know, it's, it's uh, when I joined DEA, I was a little concerned about you know, the only thing you'll be working is narcotics. But man, I tell you, once you get one of the major seizures, it's like being addicted to drugs just in a different way, you know? I just never looked it back. Is. It was a blast. It is. Murph tried snorting his first roll of $100 bills, didn't work so well. So he just thought yeah. he had no future after that. I think I rolled them the wrong way or something. <laughs> yeah, <bro. laughs> uh, uh, we had another guest too coming. I was just looking at that money that uh, we got Michael Hearns is coming out with an episode probably right before this one. Just looking at that stack. What was it? $22 million? Yeah. yeah. It was a buttload of money. <laughs> buttload of money. A buttload of money. Speaking of oh, a buttload. Yeah. Um, Talking about the time, uh, no, that was that was Kevin Black who crapped his pants. So, yeah, <laughs> just you know, yeah, yeah. I'm telling you what, if nothing else, you got to listen to episode 86, Chocolate. Listen to part two. If you listen to nothing else, listen to the last 15 minutes. The funniest story you're ever going to hear from another cop. And he's where, where's he at? He's up in North he's, Carolina, though. Yeah, he's in Rowan County, North Carolina. Rowan, funniest story you ever hear about him crapping his pants. But anyway, we digress. Let's go back to you. So. <laughs> You go back in, and now you're starting to work UC. Uh, how how many years are you into your career when you finally uh, get into uh, the undercover drug squad? So I'm probably three, maybe four, I think three years in. Dude, you moved up career. fast. I mean, you, you worked from the street to SWAT to UC. I did. Um, my partner did as well. He actually went over probably half a year or a year before me, but he was also like half a year or a year ahead of me on the street, but he moved over. Initially, we, we kind of had an agreement, you know, we both wanted to go over and they were telling both of us to put in. Um, 
So I decided, I'm like, bro, I'm not going to fight you for this spot. You know, you got time in anyways. Also, I'm doing like field training at the moment. I was a field training officer. So he put in for narcotics. He got in it. I put in the next time and I went over. So that's yeah, friendship there. pretty fast. Yeah, we both know we wanted to work together. I wouldn't have wanted to work there if he wasn't there and vice versa. If I wasn't there, he wouldn't have wanted to work there. You know, you just develop this group of dudes that you trust and that's kind of who you want to work with. He's been there freaking for all of our big bust on the street, which is kind of what got the attention of the narcotics guys. Plus us being on SWAT team, doing all their raids for them. <clears throat> Cause the majority of what we did were high risk drug search warrants, but just the, the big cases we would get and we would give them our targets instead of just being like, no, I'm arresting this guy. And that's the end of it. He's going to jail. We'd be like, you know, um, you can talk to these guys and they might be able to help you with the charges. If they're willing to work with you, then we can see what we can do about the charges. And you see that guy's got charges, you know, they go away because he gets them a bigger asset than himself. Climb that ladder. There you <laughs> go. Great minds so, think alike. So, uh, but now you, you, but you're doing this for four years. So give us an idea of some of the kinds of cases that you guys, what, what is your bread and butter? I mean, what do you work all the time, but what, what's some of the bigger stuff you got into as well? So the bigger stuff would have been, uh, sorry, Murphy would be my FBI cases because, Shortly after I got into narcotics, <laughs> I became a FBI task force officer. So fully credentialed TFO with the FBI. Um, my partner later went over to the DEA and we just kind of started this. We Our FBI and DEA office started cooperating really well together, as well as HSI. We worked with the HSI and pretty much everyone you can think of. And we actually ended up getting a HIDA task force. I think I, I talked to okay. Murph about this. See, that's why I, I, I let it go for a while, but you said DV earlier, and that was domestic violence. And you said IA, that's internal affairs. Now we're throwing out TFO, HIDA, all that. Okay, so let's let's tell people where we're got to remember, not everybody listening to this is an inside the baseball is is a cop. We're, we're, we're educated. I don't even think about it. I don't even, yeah. I don't even I know. think about what that means sometimes. Well, just our I mean, language. well, we've done a. Uh, HIDA has been something we've done, you know, high intensity drug trafficking area, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, but so, but TFO, like a task force officer, I was surprised though, uh, probably the reason that uh, DEA and FBI started working together because you and your partner did. Otherwise, it's usually a law that DEA and FBI can't work together. They don't share information. You, yeah, you would think so. I'm like, man, no confliction or anything. Uh, we just, we're just going to hope for the best. <laughs> 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 so yeah, it, actually, yeah, we started um, working together uh, a lot on cases because and we will see that a lot of our targets were similar targets for DEA and FBI, or they would each have an informant maybe for this to the same common goal, because all of the biggest cases in our jurisdiction, it was coming through me or my partner, you know, or someone else out of my office. And then initially, or eventually we started working with the county. There was like a really bad relationship between those, just those agencies for a while, but you know, like you'll have guys who flip, who flip flop over to the county from the city. So we started having guys who worked narcotics in the city go work in the county. And so, you know, we're assets now. We started working together and we accomplished more that way. And, and so, um, so from the FBI side, real quick, from the FBI side, what were, uh, what, what did you work different things than DEA or did you, was there just so much stuff going on? DEA worked the same stuff for you were using or did you have a different focus? Was it drugs? Was it terrorism? Was it organized crime? I mean, did you have other things you did in that UC role or was it primarily uh, narcotics? 
So yeah, basically <clears throat> my unit was actually NVLC, which is narcotics, vice, organized crime. So that's the majority of what I worked with was narcotics cases, vice cases, and organized crime and gang cases. So anything with like a organized crime or a drug nexus, that's everything that I usually work. We would get into some human trafficking stuff here and there, but you know, not so much. Yeah, uh, that's more stuff that you would kind of look into, see if there's anything there, pass it up the chain. Um, but yeah, the majority of what I like to work with stuff with just a like a violent nexus, you know, maybe violent organized criminal units and stuff like that. Drugs were kind of just like usually like the um the way into that. Okay. So well, but uh and now uh, but did did it seem like most cases had a vi- I mean you said there's a lot of violence but w- did did a lot of your cases have both the violence and the drug nexus? Yes, usually all of them did just um just from the area that I was in Spartanburg is like a it's always known as like a really violent place and I guess the the majority of what people saw on the state level that they couldn't get past is just the violence. You know, they would see this guy standing on the corner um, selling drugs, and then they would see the shooting that happened and the retaliatory shooting. And, you know, then some then a civilian gets hit. And then uh, that's um that's where it kind of will bubble over. So we've we've confirmed your stud. You move up fast. Uh, you know we're now going to call it the Bailey exception. You know you know you can <laughs> move up from patrol to SWAT to UC and FBI task force. By the way, now now tell me, did you go when you go around? Did you say that you're a detective or officer so and so or Spartanburg? Or did you say I'm FBI agent, FBI task force officer, Chocolate Bailey? Come on, what'd you do? <laughs> so. Honestly, dude, I would only break out the the FBI badge if we really needed it. And man, when I tell you, you'd have the most hardcore dudes who didn't care about anything. And they're like, man, who are you? Who are you? And I saw, I saw my partner do it once, right? So he had like a couple months more experience. And he pulled out his FBI badge at the time. He's like, so this is who we are. And I just see this guy just crumple. I'm like, what? This is a guy that we've been looking at and we've been following this guy for for months, dude, for months. And we know this guy's hardcore. We've been working our way up to him and he just crumples and just gives you everything in a couple seconds. So yeah, I learned to start using that, uh, that FBI badge very strategically. Oh, dude. I never led with it, but. Dude, it's going to be fed time. This is going to be fed time. I don't want (laughs) to do fed time. (laughs) Just that badge that says the FBI, man, and it's not in a movie. (laughs) That's That's right. That's the closer. But but the other thing too, in reality, though, most FBI agents they just had their credentials. You know, they pull out their creds. It'd be you know their little leather wallet. You know, I'm yep. FBI, right? They yeah, they're but their badge. It's the smallest, tiniest little badge I've ever seen of any federal law enforcement agency. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it was a small one. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, you know, if it was a really big badge like DEA, maybe we might say they're compensating for something. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I like I like ours though because it was like laminated and it was a leather cover and you flip it open and it had like this whole spiel and then it had your fbi idea up top and you're you're in your freaking three-piece suit or whatever so it looks really official yeah you're in your three-piece suit but yet you're growing a beer you look scraggly and it's like you're not that yeah. guy yes i am no you're not you stole those i'm going to report you <laughs> no Hey, uh, before we go on, though, you and I had a quick talk uh, during the break because I was looking through some of your pictures here. And I want you to explain something. I said where it looked like you'd look like a fine strapping young man, you know, in uniform. But you have a light blue uniform on, dark pants, black 
um, you know, PPE equipment, you know, you've got mm-hmm. the black gloves on. But somebody has done the unthinkable. If they'd done it to me, this would have been a felony offense. They tore your uniform. I see your vest under what is the story? I mean, was that was that did some girl just really like you and decide to go after you, or was this a like a maybe a criminal who decided he didn't like you? Yeah, unfortunately it was the latter. It was a criminal tore my baby blue, as we call it our baby blue. That's how you can date that photo. When I first started policing, we were baby blue EMS looking shirts because we were public safety until we started getting too many complaints because people were mistaking EMS for police. They were fighting, just like being combated with EMS. <clears throat> so then eventually we switched over to the darker, more tactical style, you know, shirts. Um, but that was near the beginning of my career. And uh, me and my partner, we get dispatched to this call. It's like a disturbance, right? We're like, oh, respond to a disturbance. It's a report call. So we're like, man, this sucks. I'm doubled up in the car with my partner because we have too many officers and not enough vehicles. My same little partner that's always getting me into these antics. And we're headed to this call. And on the way, they're like, be advised. The uh, caller says that her baby's father just drug her with a with a vehicle. We're like, oh, man, that sounds crazy. That sounds exciting. Is he still on scene? No, he's gone. It's like, so it's just a report. We're like, dang it. So on the way there, you know, we're headed there. Call the Muppets. Yes. Muppets, right? Call the Muppets, like. The bad thing was, it's like, this wasn't even like our zone. So we're taking some Muppets call because they're not available. They're just milking some call, taking forever to type a shoplifting or something. So we get over there and uh, we get out with this girl and she's like, my baby daddy just drugged me with his car, blah, blah, blah. It's like, what? It's like, how did this happen? Like, how did he drag you with his car? Like, you probably jumped on it. We're like, okay, what does the car look like? Do you need EMS? Blah, blah, blah. She's like, it's a green it's a green little four-door car. I think it's a Nissan. Or matter of fact, let's hit right there. So she screams and she points at a car and we're like, oh, we're like, oh, here we go. thank you. Hell yeah, here yeah. we so go. We get on the radio. We're like, Sparnberg, send another unit out here to take this report. We got the suspect car. We're going to go attempt a traffic stop. So right there, we got out of the report. So we thought, <clears throat> so we pull out, we get in our car, we get behind this old rinky-dink car and we see the guys heat checking. Like they're looking in their mirror, just like staring back at us. They were like, oh, man, this is it. This is it. They're nervous. It's like two super young black guys match the description that she said her baby daddy was. And they start doing an evasive maneuver. He goes into a parking lot like a loop and turns around. And we're like, oh, no, like, nah, he's not about to get away from us. So we pull into the parking lot, too, and we just wait. He pulls out and goes back the other way. Loops through the projects and comes back out. So we get behind them and we call a traffic stop like. Uh, this is our vehicle, blah, blah. This is supposedly the suspect from the uh, assault with the vehicle. So we pull him over. We get out. And as soon as we get out, we smell marijuana coming from the car. So we're like, oh, man, like this is this is about to turn into a drug case, too. Like, man, cross off two, two, two tech marks right there. You know, yeah. we got a drug better case and better. we got out of this report. It just gets better and better. <laughs> so <clears throat> we started talking to the occupants of the vehicle. And they're super nervous. Like, this guy is shaking. He doesn't see me. I do a passenger side approach. And they're just locked in on my partner who's at the driver's side door. And I'm watching this guy, and he's, like, digging in his waist. And I'm like, huh? I'm like, this is weird, you know? So I tell my partner. My partner's like, yeah, step out of the vehicle for me. At this point, we're still rookies. So the way he's doing stuff is pretty sloppy. You know, he should have taken out one at a time. We take my guy. He's a super stocky, shorter dude. The driver gets out, and he's, like, six seven. 
but he's like 18, 17 or 18. So he's like pissing himself. And we move to the back of the car. He starts patting him down. The young kid doesn't have anything. He sets him on the hood. And then he starts patting down the passenger that was really nervous, the older guy. Um, and he's like, um, I see him. He's, he's like just in his groin area. And he's like really into it. He's like, hey, what is this, man? He's like, man, that's my balls. He's like, this ain't your balls. He's like, he's like, this big thing. He's like, that's my balls, man. Why are you grabbing the balls? So my partner's like, man, that don't feel like your balls, man. He's like, all right, well. Walk back to walk back to my car. Y'all not under arrest. We just gotta put y'all in the back, secure y'all while we search your vehicle because it smells like weed. I'm like, you idiot! Like, why are you telling? Like, we should at least just put them in handcuffs, detain them. Whatever. We're rookies. We don't care. <clears throat> so he he goes walk back to open the door. He's leading, and I'm behind the two suspects. And I see this guy. He just something falls out of his shorts leg. He kicks it up like a hacky sack. I shit you not. He never misses a beat. And it's all on um. Dash cam. I'll have to send it to you guys so you can see it. He kicks it up with his foot, scoops it, and he just runs. And it's like there's a string attached to him. You see, like, my body just jerks. You see me look down, and I, my body just jerks off body camera. I chase him. We get to the wood line. He's not very fast. Um, and right before I hit him, I just see a, a puff of white, like a white cloud. It just, like, rounds this guy, and I run into it, and I'm like... <gasps> I'm like, oh no. I'm like, oh man. He just threw a bunch of cocaine in my face. Like instantly. I just see him rip the bag open. He throws it. He runs. And as soon as he throws it, I hit him. And so I tackle this guy in the woods and we're fighting. My partner stays back with the other guy um, to detain him. And so he's over the radio swerver. Go to the channel. We're running. So I'm fighting this guy. And this is the first time that I've gotten into a fight on the street. So I've gotten into plenty of fights before. You know, I used to get in trouble for fighting when I was a kid. I've been in fights. Outside of that, you know, Marines and everything. So, and I realized this guy's swinging at me, and I'm just like, this guy's fighting me. Like, how dare he? He's fighting a police officer. And then I realized I'm only fighting this guy with one hand. So I look down and I still have both of their IDs in my hand from the traffic stop. So I look at it and I throw the IDs on the ground, and then I just proceed to just beat the shit out of this guy. Right. <clears throat> and I remember getting him on the ground, finally cuffing him up. And because when I tackled him, he popped up and starts fighting. So I get him on the ground, cuff him up. And my partner comes over the radio. He's like, Bailey, you good? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Um, he just tried to fight me like you good. He's like, 10-4, I'm just uh, collecting all this crack he threw in the woods. And so I'm like, oh, no, this it's not cocaine. It's crack. I'm going to have a crack exposure. I'm going to be addicted to crack. So I call, the, I call EMS to my location. And then I cancel them and I called him and canceled them like three or four more times. And long story short, I forgot to cancel them the last time. And this whole time, I don't, I don't remember doing this, but it's because I'm high. I'm high as I, as I just breathe in all this cocaine and I'm fighting this guy high on cocaine and my heart's racing. They're like, <laughs> they get out there. I throw this guy in the car. He says he can't breathe because he has asthma. I'm like, I don't care, dude. I'm high. So EMS gets out there and they're like, you called us? I'm like, no. They're like, yes, you did. And I'm like, oh, yeah, they're like, are you okay? I'm like, they ask me what happened. I tell them, and they're dying laughing at my story. They're like, he threw cocaine in your face? I have cocaine literally all over my shirt, my microphone. Like, they took pictures of the cocaine coked on my uniform, and they used it as evidence in the trial. Oh, man. And so they're like, well, what's wrong? I'm like, well, you know, I'm in the Marines. We run three miles, five miles regularly. Normally, my heart would have came down by now but it's just keeps racing so 
I'm a little worried. And they're laughing. They're like, all right, well, let us test your heart rate. I'm sure you're fine. And all of a sudden, the EMT's face just like changes completely. It's super serious. And they look at my lieutenant and they're like, yeah, he's going to have to go to the doctor. Um, You want to take him or you want him to ride with us? You know, he seems like a really healthy guy, but we just want to make sure his heart doesn't explode. So then I get really nervous and I'm like, oh, wow. I'm like, what do you mean? So the whole way to the to the doctor's office, I'm just like super paranoid. I'm looking around. And I remember when I finally get there, they're like, yeah, there's nothing we can do for cocaine. Like, you just have to let it run its course. So the narcs start coming in and out and they're messing with me. So they like have to ban everybody from coming into my room. They're like, we need to get his heartbeat under 100 beats per minute and we're good to go. So, so yeah, that was uh, my cocaine exposure. And how I, long uh, did that take to get your heart rate down? I don't even know how long I sat in the hospital, but I know after it finally got down, they asked me to go over and talk to the guy. Um, or whatever, and he apologized to me or whatever. So that was cool, but I remember yeah, I, I couldn't drive. But I could oh. just see a defense attorney in court going, "Isn't it true, Officer Bailey? You yourself are a user of cocaine." <laughs> it's funny because they brought it up in court, but not yes, that way. they like, did. He threw cocaine in his face. This is like, no, it's like, well, I'm like, yeah, he did. I popped, I pissed hot on my uh drug test for my Marine Corps unit because I was still reserve at the time. And I remember I had to like, we did like a complete stand down. We had to take a drug test and they're like, oh, you going to, are you doing any drugs? And I wrote, yes, cocaine on there. And I didn't tell them anything. I had already turned all my documents in. I had to go through this whole process of getting my chief and my deputy chief to write like a letter, clip the news article and everything to send to my unit. So admin had it already, but of course they didn't share that with my unit. And I was like, oh, they're making me, cause I thought it was dumb. I'm like, they're making me take a drug test. And I just now got exposed to cocaine literally like one or two days ago before my, like our two week drill or training or something. And so they're like, what is this? Like, what, what is this? Say cocaine. I'm like, because I piss hot. I mean, I, I, I did cocaine, so I'm going to piss hot. And they're like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, Gunny admin has all the paperwork. He's like, he's like, you motherfucker. He's like, you should have told me. I'm like, why didn't the admin tell you? Like, is that something they just don't share with you guys? One of your guys got exposed to cocaine. Oh man. So yeah, it was it was a horrible experience. Though. I remember I couldn't go to sleep. I was just wired for hours. I finally went to sleep, and then I was like, I was so tired. I just didn't want to get out of bed. Man. Hey, well, did they charge this guy with like aggravated assault? I mean, that's like assault with potentially that's yeah. that stuff could kill you. That's assault with deadly with a deadly weapon, or at least ag assault against a law enforcement officer. Yeah, this guy got thirty years in prison, so he got. He got charged. Ooh. Yeah. Oh. So he got popped shortly after that, of course. He got released on bond. My partner popped him again with crack literally like a short time after that. So he went back and those they just added those charges over in general sessions court and he got thirty years in prison. So it's it was an assault on the officer. It was over eight ounces of cocaine, but he tore it open and we recovered over a hundred grams of it, you know. So we recovered a substantial amount, enough to charge him with um, possession with intent yeah, yeah trafficking so wow so yeah he he had some charges mm-hmm. i bet he did well let's let's talk about something fun because i mean w- we could go into a lot more of the law enforcement occur but i think what's going to appeal to the to the younger kids the millennials the people that are in your generation we want to talk about murph didn't know what social media influencers was <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> i knew what they are yeah i'm learning <laughs> he's learning <laughs> well, but let's talk about let's talk about this for a minute because You've got eight years in. What 
walk us through the thought process that goes from doing what you love to do. I mean, you're kicking down doors. You're you're doing what you said you wanted to do, arresting bad guys and girls, and getting involved in stuff. What what made you flip the switch and go? Uh, you know, I'm going to go do this. When did your when did your online gaming? When did when did your online persona? You know, kind of start coming out, and you know, where did that lead to? So, basically, from the beginning, like I said, I had uh, they started calling me chocolate. It got so bad that so eventually my partner started blowing up and uh, donut. He has like a really substantial following online. He has like a couple million on YouTube and he got a big following on Twitch, uh, which is where I got my name from. And I started a Twitch back then, too. But with the trajectory of my career, I just never had time to stream or make videos. And I started getting into UC stuff. And at that point, I had to create around the same time he started blowing up. Is when I started going over to do like narcotics. And so I had to create this online persona chocolate because people kept trying to follow my personal account. And I was super secretive. Like I didn't like sharing anything because I'm like, oh man, I can't show my face. So initially I would blur my face or I would wear like a balaclava or some kind of covering over my face. And that was my chocolate operator persona. But I had to create this account just so people wouldn't find my regular account because Donut is a freaking idiot and he would tag me and stuff. Or they would just find him through, like, him through... Wait, wait a minute. Let me ask you something. Was this guy, this kid, was Donut the kid you worked security with? No, it wasn't Donut. (laughs) Okay. So so Donut Donut left policing and came back because his... his, um, He wanted to do social full-time, but it didn't pop off. So he came back to policing. And then he, like, put a cat on his shoulder was super viral. It was like on TV shows and stuff. They were like circling the picture around. So he started going super viral and he left policing again. And um, at that time, I was still doing, you know, UC stuff, doing SWAT stuff and then started working FBI. So whenever I decided to do um, content creation full time was somewhere during that. I started just posting more stuff, you know, just with my face blurred out. I was doing a lot of cool stuff. So I was like, man, no, I might as well post this before asking me to post content. So I just started posting content. I started streaming on Twitch and I started visiting Texas because Donut was um, wanting to move to Texas. He's like, hey, man, moving me to Texas. I'm going down here with the BRCC guys. I had came down to visit a couple times. BRCC? Those, uh, <laughs> Black Rifle Coffee. Yeah, see, and, everybody, we all know that it's Black Rifle BRCC, but it's like, man, you're addicted to acronyms. It's like a lot of guys getting your visit. I, I got yeah, the MIA okay. on the VIP, but keep it on the QT because we don't want the <laughs> MIAs to know about it. Yeah. 10-4. 10-4. <laughs> <Stand for. laughs> yeah, so I started meeting these uh, Black Rifle guys, and they're super cool. And they're like, man, chocolate. They're like, move to Texas, bro. Like, come to Texas. I'm like, I'm like, dude, you're crazy. Like, I'm kicking doors in. I'm having an awesome time, bro. I fucking love it up here. And they're like, all right, well. You get tired of policing, let us know. We'll hire you or come down here, have fun with us. And so when I come down to Texas, man, we're just shooting guns. We're out at these ranches and these ranges. We're just just having a blast, just doing a bunch of crazy stuff. And I, I, you know, that was good enough for me until I didn't like policing anymore because the thing that really did it was my unit got disbanded, you know, so my, um, as a lot of units are these days, narcotics units, uh, ours got disbanded and I got moved to CID, which is criminal investigation division. And I was like, absolutely not. I don't want to be an investigator. I hate those guys. They're lazy. 
put me on patrol. They're like, negative. You're too much of an asset. You got too much investigative experience. You're going to CID, please. I'm like, okay. So I go to CID. I start investigating homicides and uh, violent crimes. You know, it's kind of up my alley. I'm like, okay, I can do this. I still get to go kick indoors with the marshals and find these guys and do stuff with like counting arts, you know? So it's still cool. I still hate it. Then COVID hit. So I started streaming more. I could focus more on streaming. I streamed for like, I'm like, I'm going to take this serious for a month straight. You know, I gave myself like a month and in my free time, I'm going to stream and see if I can actually do this. And I made a decent amount of money to where I was like, dude, I could do this full time and not have to police. And I hate doing investigations or CID. So, you know, I talked to some of those guys and my boys were always hitting me up from Texas. One day, you know, it's like, Hey man, one of these guys really wants to hire you. Like he keeps talking about it. You should come down at least and check it out. So came down to Texas. He made me a job offer. I took it, came down and started doing that. Wow. And you're in San Antonio now, right? You are Texas. Yes, sir. That's right. Heart of Texas. Wow. So tell us, what does a day in the life of chocolate operator look like? So, but because you moved down there though, with two healthy legs. I did. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what they do so, to you? That didn't last long. What happened, my man? So I moved down here with two healthy legs. I was uh, actually helping one of these guys create content who has a big channel, doing content for his channel. I ended up getting hurt on set. Um, long story short, short, I don't work for that guy anymore. And I kind of decided anyways, you know, like I was neglecting my own content, just helping other people make You theirs. skipped by the injury, though. This isn't just like, oh, I yeah. fractured a toenail or something. Did Tell everybody shot? what you did to yourself. This, I, this, these are, I haven't, I have heard of this maybe, I can count on one hand and maybe three fingers the number of times I've heard of this kind of injury. Okay, so I had a complete tear of my patellar tendon, and that's basically the tendon that attack, that um, connects everything from the your upper leg to your lower leg. So your, I guess, tib, fib. And it's like your quad tie in to your knee. So I tore it below the knee. So everything from my upper leg to my lower leg was completely cut off. So I couldn't straighten my leg out. I couldn't flex my quad. There's just a, I basically, I just couldn't operate my leg. So I had to get surgery to get that reattached and repaired. And then there were, after that, there was months of physical therapy just so I could learn to walk again without a leg brace and crutches and to the point now. I heard it was going to be like over a year recovery. I'm right at a year now and I'm just now able to like, you know, lift weights and log jog lightly and stuff like that. So, Oh man. That, I mean, when that happened, that had to hurt, right? Oh yeah. It, it sucked. It was literally the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. Like that's not even an exaggerating exaggeration. It was, it was terrible. So how did it, to the extent you can talk about how did it how did it come about that you would do something like that? I mean, what were the conditions on the ground that made that happen? So, you know, basically the conditions, it was like um there was this thing we did uh at the place I worked, it's called like a a bet. It's basically part of like the content we do where we'd make a bet. I bet you can't do this, I bet you can't do XYZ. And the bet was you can't touch this tree branch just like ten feet in the air. So I touched it and the guy's like, Oh man, he's like He's like, you didn't even touch it that high. Like, do it again. So touch the tree branch again. My hand gets stuck on top of it. It's like caught in the bark. So I swing forward and just land from 10 feet in the air, one leg, and just oh snap. Yeah, just fold it underneath me, hit my head on the ground, rush to the ER, and 
yeah, I, dude, I felt the pop, and I just felt it like ricochet through my body. I heard it. It was, it was not. That sounded like time. a gunshot going off. It did, yeah, and that was just the sound of my tendon snapping from being just under, under that much force, you know. Oh, oh man. So, but when you when you originally moved down to San Antonio, was it for Black Rifle Coffee? No, no. So, well, this guy isn't. He doesn't actually work for Black Rifle. He's just um, he's just an influencer on his own. But yeah, initially, I was going to move down or Black Rifle. You know, they had spoke with me a couple of times about moving down for that. But I was like, man, I'm still loving what I'm doing. So, but now, you know, they're just kind of the homies. So now, now, but you had started to build up, like you said, your audience, and then part of the community, right? Your thing is about creating content. It's not just oh, I got a channel, people come to it. When you're doing a lot of the social media work and stuff, it's, I mean, you're daily trying to create content, right? Yeah, that's correct. So, so it just really held me up for the better part of a year, just not being able to create content to um, where I'm to the point now where I can create content, I can move around, I can go do the high speed stuff that I like to do for my content. So give us an idea of your content when you're planning out your stuff and when you're going to do stuff. Cause I, I mean, I've, we pulled up your, uh, we pulled up some of your channels and stuff. So we're going to talk about that too, about, you know, where they can find you, uh, like on, uh, YouTube, if you go to YouTube and look for real chocolate operator, you're going to see his channel there with lots of good, uh, now that's the other thing too, is <laughs> again, during a small break, YouTube is kind of narrow-minded. You guys that are, that are operators that are gun nuts, legitimate law-abiding, know how to handle a weapon gun nuts, you're still, you guys are still getting kind of hosed by YouTube, aren't you? It is, man, and it's just the stuff that they come after is like not loading a magazine into a weapon, not attaching a suppressor, not attaching optics, and that's kind of like the meat and potatoes of a lot of these guys' content. My content, not so much as like, just like, oh, this is a cool gun, now watch me shoot it, you know, it's more focused on the reason I got into content creation in the first place was to bring the culture of training to law enforcement, because that was the thing that irked me the most when I was in law enforcement. It's just that culture of training isn't there for your everyday street cop as much as I found in narcotics and SWAT and on my specialized units, you know, just being better trained to deal with hand-to-hand combat situations, or you're fighting somebody with a gun, or you get into a close quarter battle type situation with your weapons, you know, is is that training. And so that's the kind of content I want to do. It's kind of, you know, showcase some of that. And it- we've had that discussion, Murph, of several times. We've talked about training. I mean, you got more training in uh, eight weeks, uh, you know, at boot camp than most cops get during, I mean, really good training than a career. And, and then you wonder why there's problems with trigger discipline and weapon discipline mm-hmm. and things like that. It's like, we just were lacking the training and see, that's the part that kind of infuriated me is that it's to me, it's a first amendment thing is that you're not, you're not telling people, let's go out. You're not a gangbanger or a terrorist that's saying, let's cut somebody's head off or let's go shoot out stuff. You're there to train people and teach. And I, I just don't know why they think that has to be banned. I mean, when they trust me, if you've seen some of the other shit that's been on YouTube or Twitter, yeah. that's not banned. I'm going, how do you guys, how do you get from there to here? Me as well. And even with Instagram, like I've had videos I've had to delete recently and they're the ones that do the best. And it's like, you know, showing weapons or showing maybe just how to, you know, manipulating that weapon or training. They consider it like you're instructing people how to do this. It's like, you know, the, okay, to a certain extent you are, but you're not instructing them how to do anything bad with that weapon. You're instructing them how to be safe with that weapon. 
And and I don't understand why it's viewed so differently because the one series that I'm going to go into detail with like training and just becoming proficient with the weapon system is one of the series I'm doing. On the other hand, there's another series I'm doing that is going to be more of a scripted. It's kind of like a a reenactment, if you will, not really a reenactment, just kind of a drama dramatization of guess of like my time as an undercover officer loosely based on that. And why is that viewed differently than real life me showing a weapon? If I'm doing the same thing, I'm shooting this weapon on this reenactment series versus I'm shooting the weapon on this live series, you know? Unbelievable. I mean, you're showing people how to safely handle the weapon so they don't hurt themselves. Yeah, you're not showing yeah. them how to convert uh, something from semi-auto to auto, you know, and here's yeah. what you file and here's where you do it, right? So, yeah, everything you're doing is completely legal, so. Yeah, well, let's talk about your your schedule now that you're getting back on board, because uh, first of all, uh, we were going to talk about this at the beginning. We'll make sure we do it again. But tell us your where, where are you located at? When people go looking for a chocolate operator, where can we find you? First of all, let's put that in writing right now. So predominantly, you'll find me on Instagram, YouTube, and Twitch as Chocolate Operator. I've also been forced to make a Twitter and a TikTok because my name gets stolen on there. So I had to create an account as well as YouTube initially. Um, so I'm Chocolate Operator everywhere. Mm -hmm. Okay. Chocolate Operator. So if you just go in like YouTube, I know you've got like a handle like Real Chocolate Operator. But if we go through that, trust me, you won't have any problem figuring out it's him. Look for somebody who's big, huge, arms bigger round than Murph's head. Yeah, um, and that'll be, big. by the way, I like the one where you've got the, uh, uh, you've got the Hershey's Magazine going into one yeah. of your uh, weapons there. Oh, yeah. That's that's nice. Someone made that for me and sent it to me. So that's, uh, that's really cool. And yeah, on YouTube, if they just type in Chocolate Operator, I'll pop up. Why you see real chocolate operators? Because somebody stole that. Um, oh, really? And, yeah. And preemptively, I tried to stop it once YouTube switched like a username, but they wouldn't let me because somebody had already stole it prior to that. So, so I had to put real chocolate operator, which is kind of annoying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, well, again, you know, there's, and that's the other thing too is you're putting. I mean, again, let's talk about this. How much work do you do? Um during a day to create content. I mean, so when you're working on content, how much effort are you putting into identifying, creating, editing, producing, and then, you know, publishing? A lot, a lot more than I thought I was going to have to initially, a lot more than what most people think. So at any given day, it depends on if I'm doing a post or if it's a sponsor post, because, you know, the, the main part right now for content creation is I have to get to a point. You have to get to a point to where you can be paid to do this because if you want to do a full time, you have to make money. You no. Know? So what most people, yeah, exactly. What most people do find a job and make content in their free time. But when you're doing it full time, I have to remember like, so now I'm having to set a streaming schedule because I want to stream on Twitch. So between these hours on these days, you can find me live on Twitch and then just ideating for. Let's talk about Twitch for a minute. So um, why, what, what would you put on YouTube versus what do you do on Twitch? You know, and how are the things differently and what kind of things do you do on there? So Twitch as of late is, um, there was an issue. I know you guys are probably familiar with one of the um, shootings that happened in Buffalo. And since then, anything gun related on Twitch is kind of a no-go because I believe the guy live streamed that. So um, so one of my buddies here actually used to do range streams 
and we would do rain streams and they kind of banned those for a while. I'm not sure if those are back up, but what are those called again? What kind of streams? Rain streams. So you go out to like a range and oh, range. Like, yeah. Okay. So it's like, you know, just lo- you show you, me shooting at a range, me and my buddies shooting or training, you know, just running drills or maybe shooting some cool guns at the range on a live stream instead of just watching it on the video. But generally the content that we make on Twitch is just playing video games, you know, or maybe just called just chatting, like just me sitting here talking to talking and responding to my followers live while they're texting and chat. And you can invite someone on to talk to if you want to, or just watch videos and kind of break those down. What kind of, what, 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 what video games do you specialize in? So mainly first person shooters, like call of duty, you know, stuff like that. Um, Maybe some adventure games as well. Maybe that has a good story to it or a lot of action fighting games. So now have you ever had, you ever got shot in the ass by a little shitty shithead 16 year old that snuck up on you, like on call of duty. I mean, those are things like there are some people who get good at that stuff. Or are you like, no man, I'm chocolate operator. Nobody gets me. Yeah, I do, man. It is. It's infuriating because I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, bro, I'm like, oh, you won't do this in real life. Let's go get some stimunitions. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's, it's like, it's the games are so fun, but there's just zero tactics that go into it. So you have these guys just like, diving across the screen or sliding and shooting you like bro this is so unrealistic it's like you know, going out to play i'm sorry steve go ahead i was gonna say when we met you down in uh and at shot show in vegas uh alexandra came by stopped by and, and oh, yeah. everybody's telling me she her one of the characters in call of duty is based on her yep, like, holy she is cow. she has a skin in call of duty wow that's pretty cool you know see <laughs> There are, it's like, for example, take Murph, Netflix, you know, makes Narcos. You got Boyd Holbrook, Pedro Pascal, right? How do you, how do you prove that? No, that's me. I'm in the game. The the skin, that's me. I mean, it's like. It looks just like her. It does? Does it really? Yeah, it looks just like her. There's a couple people who have real skins of themselves and, and CGI and everything is so, you know, it's so great these days. They put the stuff all over their face and. It looks just like them. I mean, you know, she's a fine, she's a very beautiful young lady. That's, yeah. uh, I, but when I met her, I got her off the side and I said, all right, lady, tell me, <laughs> how did you do this? <laughs> Holy yeah. cow. It's crazy stuff. She's from South Carolina. That's why. Yeah. Oh, she's from South Carolina too? Yep. No kidding. What do y'all got Probably a lock on the market down people. there or what? Yeah. Basically. <laughs> it's got a like lock that. in it. <laughs> wow. So but let's talk about, about how you go about your business now, because, you know, that's the thing. It's kind of what used to be a hobby now is a business, right? Mm-hmm. How do you go about doing business? How do you go about getting sponsors? What's, when you go out to them, what's your pitch to them other than, hey, I'll snap your neck if you piss me off because I'm big and I'm six foot one down to 270 now? That's basically it. It's like, man, you know, I have a, <laughs> I have a lot of experience in and making people just not kidding. It's like, it's, uh, <laughs> no, see, he was rolling with it. Murphy couldn't yeah. keep a straight face. though. <laughs> he was just waiting. Nah. So I don't know, man, a lot of these companies, they'll approach you, you know, just because they'll see your content or a lot of it is networking. Like how I went to shot show. It was my first year this year. And the main reason I went to shot show was just to network, you know, it's. What'd you and, think of the show? First man, time there. It was awesome. It's overwhelming because you'll never see everything there. If you spend like a week there, you'd never see everything. Somebody told me to that uh, they had, they had, I guess whoever sponsors the shot show had figured if you wanted to visit every 
it's up for what three days three that days. you visit you visit the vendors that if you went to every if you want to visit every single vendor booth at the shot show you could stay long longer than 11 seconds and then it, it was like an eight or nine hour day and you'd be able to at least stop by and see every vendor that's how big this is. Mm-hmm. unbelievable so it's it's awesome because a lot of the people you get to meet but there are so many people i was supposed to meet there that i didn't get to see like i almost didn't make it to premieres booth like y'all were all the way on the opposite side from where I was at. So I was like, oh man, like I finally found y'all. My knee was hurting from walking around. All oh. day. My feet were hurting. I was like, dude. And I finally found y'all. I was like, okay, this is awesome. So, and I think that was like the last or next to last day when I finally found y'all. It was. How did, how do you know Frank? So Frank was actually my very first sponsor and this is still where oh. I was policing. Um, now, I met- real quick, tell him we can't just, you guys Sorry. know who he is. Who's Frank Murph? Frank is Frank Stewart. He's the uh, owner, CEO of Premier Body Armor. Uh, actually born in Columbia. He's Colombian by birth. But uh, he's had some extremely successful companies dealing with the Department of Defense. And uh, when things kind of settled down over in the sandbox, you know, he moved on to his next business, which is Premier Body Armor. And the things that they're creating that you'd love this, Morgan, they had a pair of tiny whiteies built in ballistic armor. I, well, I don't get shot in it to get tested, but damn. <laughs> unless it's in, unless it's in a Tommy Bahama style, dude, I don't wear tidy whities <laughs> <laughs> But they've also, this was one of the things they introduced this year. They're starting to build items that could be used in the schools. That's you know, good. Like, like, like notepads that fold down quickly and it, and it has ballistic plating, not plating, but uh, the ballistic material. The Kevlar, yeah. Stuff yeah. in it, yeah. I carry one of the bags or with their armor in it. Basically everywhere I go, I have a couple of them that I carry, you know, some with like my, um, my truck gun. So you call it, you know, like a bigger gun that's concealable and then like a handgun bag. So it's, it's good to have in a pinch, man. You never know. You get into some kind of active situation and you're like, man, I got everything I need except for armor. It just makes it so accessible. But I met, uh, Frank at some random event in North Carolina that I went to. Can't remember what part of North Carolina I was in, but it was years ago. I was still policing at the time, and I met Frank, and he, you know, he's a really good guy. He said he wanted to give me some body armor and brought me on, and that was my first sponsor. And that's that's mainly how I meet most of my sponsors. It's just at events, or they'll, like, slide in my DMs on Instagram, or, you know, I'll see a company that I really like I want to work with, and I hit them up because, you know, I don't believe in working with a company that I don't like or that I don't actually use. So, Amen, brother. Yeah, yeah it's just... Too many people in this business too sell their souls just for the money, and then after a while, you're just become a shill. I mean, yep. I tell yeah, you exactly. what, they were they were fantastic to work with, to hang out with, to go to dinner with. I mean, they treat us like part of their family. Just love these guys to death. Really good guys. Yep. So, w- what's the future look like for Chocolate Operator? I mean, you you are just now getting yourself, like you said. I mean, figuratively, figuratively and literally, your feet back on the ground, right? So, getting up and running again. Um, what, what does the future look like for you in terms of what kind of content are you going to focus on? What, what are you going to do and how do you address that issues? Now, when you got Twitch and YouTube really hammering guys who are, uh, you know, first amendment type guys like you, or just want to do training and do stuff. What, what are you going to do to, to adjust to the uh, current conditions? So it's just, it's ever changing, man. You just find the, you try to play as much as you can within the rules of YouTube and Instagram so that you don't get completely banned. But a lot of times that means that you're not going to be monetized because if you do everything they say that you have to do to not be monetized, 
it's impossible to make this content um, that you want to make revolving around guns or something else. So uh, that's where sponsors come in a lot is I know this video is going to be demonetized, so I'll make it a sponsored video. Either I'll do something with that sponsor or mention that sponsor in the video and they effectively become not just a sponsor of you, but a sponsor for that video. And that way you're still making your revenue for the video. So, but the, the conundrum is growing your channel to a point to where sponsors actually see that ROI, what they care about is return on investment. That's what a lot of sponsors care about. They're like, well, how many views, how many clicks, how many sales, you know, it's like, and just like, okay, it's, it's not my place to sell your product. Your product should sell itself, but I'll put that in front of people. I'm advertising, you know, I, I'll advertise your product if it's good and if it it adds um, value to to my um, fan base, you know. And that's a lot of that because and initially in the beginning, even if I'm monetized, you're not making money anyway. It's because you don't have enough views or you're not big enough to apply for monetization. And just luckily, I've been in the position to already know a lot of these sponsors or already have caught the the eye of these sponsors. So it'll be easier for me once I'm more consistent with my content to just start, you know, start working with sponsors. Well, this episode brought to you by Chocolate Operator. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we just we just advertised for you. How many companies have we miss, mentioned in this <laughs> in this interview? We got well, to get them to sponsors. We ought to. And, you know, the other thing, too, we just switched platforms. Uh, we're with a company called Audio Boom now. Really great people. Uh, we're mm -hmm. just starting to get back to where we've got our own advertisers now. Uh, Murph and I recorded some earlier. We're going to record some later today, too. Uh, and But, you know, that whole thing is we go through that process, too. We vet everybody. I, I turned down one because they're in a product that neither Murph or I, and we've been clear about this, we don't believe in it. You know, we have right. limitations on products or certain things. Um, there was one for erectile dysfunction, but uh, somehow just the 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 email just would never pop up i i forgot to read it <laughs> just just saying if you're listening there a little little humor there um very yeah little. But, yeah very little yeah but, but but you know but that's the thing though too is i mean it's no longer like it's a nine to five job. What, what does your day look like? So as you're producing this stuff, um, you know, what, what does a typical day for you look like now that you're getting back into it? If you had your, um, if you had could describe, this is the way a good day would go for me. This is my ideal day. What would that look like for you? Man, my ideal day, I just go out to the range, run some drills, shoot some guns, post it and get paid. But <laughs> so <laughs> realistically in the building phase or the rebuilding phase is, a lot of networking and meeting yesterday. I spent all day meeting with a guy, uh, a guy I know from Black Rifle and uh, just this venture that these guys have. They're running a really big operation and they're going to be able to help me with content and I'm going to be able to help them with content as well. And just getting plugged in with a bunch of sponsors for both of us, just kind of sharing those. So not only that is going out with these guys to these locations and doing some training and doing some content, getting that content recorded, um, edited, and then doing it all over again, you know? And do and you do I'm everything? Not. Are you a one man yeah. band? So no, luckily I know people <laughs> that work for companies and they're like, Hey bro, you need help with content. Let me know. Um, I got you. So I, I hope you record. I have my own kit. And, or like, I'm good at editing. I hope you edit. <clears throat> Most people don't have that luxury, especially in the beginning, you know, have an editor or camera guy. 
and their prices are reasonable, you know, because I know these guys, they probably do it for free, but I'm like, no, dude, you know, like I want to pay you. And then as I start making more money with content, then, you know, I can compensate you better, you know? So, so that's, it's, it's easier to do that. Most people try to do it on their own because they don't have the money or they don't want to pay anyone or they just don't know anyone, you know, but it's so easy nowadays, man. You just go to this website called Fiverr and you literally can pay someone to edit and their prices are super low because they might live in South America or India or somewhere. So the price that you'll pay them is a fraction of what you'll pay someone else. Like, or you might find someone in America who's just getting started and their prices are low as well. And so it's like, you know, just these people or they have such so much work that they can drop their their prices and you get a really well professionally edited video for a low price. Nice. So, and how often, uh, like again, in an ideal week, how often would you be, what kind of content would you be putting out on a weekly basis? Yeah. Like, do you look at it in terms of the number of things or the hours of content? How do you look at, how do you measure? Yeah. So, so I'll measure it by what would be a good posting schedule is like a couple posts per week on Instagram. You know, that would be like hard posts, like something that lives on your wall. So like a picture or a reel. And a couple stories, um, YouTube, the standard is usually like one to two videos a week. And that's super hard to do. So what goes into that throughout the week and posting that content up will look like me going out to a range for hours <clears throat> or going out to these places I'm going to for hours and doing this content and just recording and recording for a couple of days straight and then send it off to get edited and do it again. You know what? Any day on the range is a good day. That's true. Yeah. Bad day on the range meets a good day. Yeah. Most every other place. Yeah. Mm. Yep. So, and in between that, just like Twitch, content on Twitch is just like, okay, set apart some time to sit down and, and, and start building your community on Twitch, you know, playing video games. And the only way to do that is with everything else is just consistency, consistently putting out content. And when you look at your revenue, what's your target is how much revenue comes from like, we do a Patreon channel. We're not big, you know, huge, but you know, we've got enough that it's, it's makes an impact, but, um, but there's, you know, there's sponsors and then there's, uh, you know, users, consumers, right? So if you had a good mix between the type of revenue you're doing, how much of it comes from sponsors and how much of it, I don't know if you have like a Patreon channel or anything else, where do you get your other revenue from other than sponsors or advertising? So that's really it as far as like the content creation is just going to be your, your revenue from subscriptions, like subscribers. That's the best thing because where do where do they, is there, I mean, we're learning some of this too. So like, I mean, where do they subscribe to you at? Like on Twitch or when, is there a subscription you have to pay to get to certain premium content or can I just find you on Twitch and start watching you? So no, the way my Twitch is set up, yeah, anybody can go in and watch and you can watch for free. Um, just subscribing just supports the channel. So, and it's free with, so say you have Amazon, most people have Amazon prime because you're either getting stuff shipped and you don't want to wait, or you don't want to pay for delivery or you have Amazon movies. Most people have Amazon prime and don't even know it. And it's free to subscribe on Twitch because they're partnered with Amazon. I think they actually, they bought Twitch a while back for an insane amount of money. So it's free. Twitch takes half of that roughly and gives the um, the creator half as well. So, and there's different tiers, like the smallest tier is like $5, I think. So if you 
pay $5, Twitch will take $250 and give the creator $250. If you do a $10 subscription, it's five and five, you know, so forth, so on. But then there's also donations. I think the ideal um, thing from what I've seen just with some of the guys I know who create content, it's nice to have sponsors, but it's also just nice to be self-sufficient and get to a point where your content is giving you the the majority of your your money, you know, just from your views that you're getting on YouTube and your subscribers on Twitch or even YouTube now has subscribers that pay and and Instagram, like everywhere is doing a subscription thing now. Well, I think that's a good way to go because if you lose an if you lose an advertiser, you know, a sponsor, that's a that's a you know, that can be percentage wise a decent amount of money. Mm. But if a but if one subscriber says, Hey, I think I'm gonna I'm not gonna do it anymore for whatever reason it moves on that impact is is negligible as compared to a big sponsor. So you're diversifying your risk. I mean, you've got more subscribers. And that's the whole thing, too, because then the rest of it, the advertising money becomes money in the bank. You just put that in there. You don't have to live off of it. And then yep. pretty soon you're picking us up in the chocolate mobile. Uh, and we're that's going right. around San Antonio, man, in your Cadillac CTS with the plan or the BMW, BMW with tinted out windows and ghost lettering. <laughs> hey, you know, we're going right. to, well, you know, Javier lives in San Antonio. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, we're going to be doing a conference down there at the end of June. Yeah. So I'll, uh, I'll give you a shout. Maybe we can all get together. That's awesome. I have to do that. In the meantime, I'll have to ke- get a beer or something with Javi until you get out here. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, you ain't getting a beer with Javi. <laughs> I get well, taste. He's, well, actually, he likes his wine pretty good, too. He's, he's all Yeah. Right. I'm good with wine. Yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah. We do. As, as long as it's sponsored, this episode's sponsored by, you know, X wine, you know. Well, <laughs> hey, well, let's let's do this. Let's kind of bring this to a close because, I mean, what's interesting is we wanted to dive in your law enforcement experience because that really has helped shape what you're doing now. And now you're, mm-hmm. like I said, getting back on your feet. Um, but uh, again, just, let's just finish out. First of all, when people want to find you, um, what, pl- what platforms are you are? If they go looking for you, where can we find you? So YouTube, Instagram. And Twitch, those are my my main my main three right there. And just look for Chocolate Operator. That's right, Chocolate Operator. If you, I'm not shadow banned anymore. So as of last week, people were typing in my name and couldn't find me. So I had to no kidding Instagram. Yeah, so I had to appease Instagram. So now when you type my name in, you can find me. And for all the listeners out there, I mean, he just told you where you can find him. Go in there and subscribe. It doesn't cost. Go you support him, man. Yeah, he's trying to get back on his feet here. He's coming off an injury. Uh, just go, I, I tell you, as soon as we finish here, I'm going to subscribe to you. I think I've already got you on Instagram, but I'm going to go on YouTube subscribing there as well. So. Well, I saw you on Instagram because it says followed by Dean Arcos. I don't know who Dean is, but I, you know. <laughs> Dean Arcos. D-E-A Narcos. Oh, D-E-A Narcos. Dean Arcos? Because they capitalized D-E-A-N and then it's lowercase Arcos. So Dean Arcos. It was funny. We were at ICP years ago, and, and the Narco series had come out. I mean, it was one of the biggest. It's one of the most all-time popular series that Netflix has had. And they had these people doing the you know the five-minute radio things on whatever law enforcement channel it was. And the guy's got our business card, and you know, and he asks you questions: Who you are? What? Why are you here? You know, what have you done? And all that kind of. Stuff. You tell him all this stuff, and he's like, "And so we've got uh, Javier Pena and Steve Murphy here from Dean Arcos." It's like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Everything I told you just went out one ear out the other. So did you? Is, man. Did you ever watch that movie? That thing you do with Tom Hanks in it? Uh, no. Ah, uh, you should have watched it. It's like an old fifties thing. This band that grew up through in the fifties kind of became a one hit wonder. But the band's name 
was spelled O-N-E-D-E-R for the wonders, you know, mm-hmm. the wonders. And everybody kept, kept pronouncing it the O'Neaters. Here's the <laughs> the O'Neaters. The wonders, the wonders. <laughs> Dean oh, Arcos. Yep, Dean Arcos. Arcos. All right, well, I'll, I'll tell you, chocolate operator, chocolate, Adam Bailey. Hey, man, thanks for being on. And seriously, folks, go out, support his channel, get on there, get on Twitch, do a pause. Like we say, do a pause for the cause. Just throw something over the fence. Uh, And as we tell people, you give us two things. You give us time and money. We can replace money, but we can never replace time. So that's why it's so important when you create good content. People are spending time to watch that, and you can never, never get time back. So we appreciate it from our standpoint, the work that you do every day to put out content and do stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's tough. It's not easy. And so uh, people think, ah, oh, it's not like the glamour little thing where you see somebody going to a resort going, oh, you've got to come here because it's so great. I mean, the real social media influencers are the ones, you know, doing the tough stuff like you are out there at the range every day putting stuff together. Yeah. Uh, just can I give you one piece of advice, though, Chocolate? Yes, sir. Next time somebody asks you to jump up and, you know, grab a tree or do something. Don't. <laughs> don't. <laughs> well. Uh, you know, I, I've heard that a couple of times and the more I hear, the more it sinks in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I forgot you're a Marine. We're going to have to draw this out with some crayons and say, no, bad, exactly. bad tree. Tree is bad. Stay away so, from tree. Yeah. So what you're telling me is next time, knock the tree down and then touch the branch. Next time, go. knock the tree down and then say, look, motherfucker, here it is right here. Boom. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Noted. You never told me, it, the, you never told me the branch had to still be up in the tree. That's right. You just said, but touch the branch. Hey, man, it's been, Chuck, it's been an honor having you on here. Thanks for giving us your time, man. It's a pleasure meeting you down in uh, in Las Vegas, of all places. I'm glad you were able to come over and find us, uh, and looking forward to see you at the end of June. So God bless you, brother. Likewise, brother. Thank you all for having me on. You guys stick right there. Everybody else, don't go anywhere. Stay tuned for the debrief. Well, mm-hmm. smooth as chocolate. Chocolate. You said, I remember in the intro, you said, let's hear about chocolate. Yeah. Like or as my, my, or my granddaughters, as my, one of my granddaughters says, is chocolate. You guys Ch- get the uh, chocolate. Chocolate. Well, hey, but, but you know what's really cool is it's kind of one of those things is we have to realize things aren't done the way we used to do them. In fact, Murph, when you and I started, mm-hmm. in fact, when you started, um, you still had the pen and the quill, dip your thing in the inkwell, you know, and write reports like that. Um, I had, had call boxes throughout the city. Call boxes, yeah. Yep. But one of the things you learn, especially in law enforcement, is that things change. Not only the, the attitudes of the community and the technology, but the people and what they do. I, I just, you know, they're video games, Pac-Man. That, you know, that was kind of it. You had to go to an arcade and play that. But now there are hundreds of thousands of people that will watch online as people play games because they're good at it. And this is what they do. And what's really cool is just to hear where the next generation is going. And so Adam Bailey, chocolate operator, you know, represents that next generation, comes out of law enforcement, but, you know, trained a lot, SWAT, undercover stuff. And then uh, now he's doing this. It's it's unbelievable. I'm, I'm, uh, I learned so much out there. Not only to meet him, we met some other influencers, but I mean, this guy, you heard him. He's, he's kind of soft-spoken. He's one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. You know, we highly, highly encourage you to go on social media and put in Chocolate Operator. You know, subscribe to him, start following him, help build his numbers up. He was nice enough to come on here and tell you his story. So please, please support him. Yeah. And yeah, because it was that knee, it was that, uh, uh, you know, oh, just that terrible injury he got while he was mm-hmm. down there, you know, moved to Texas. So he's building back up his content. And, you know, he's dealing with challenges. It's kind of like, kind of sucks. I mean, 
you're showing these weapon videos and you're trained, you're not teaching people how to do anything illegal, but they're getting demonetized. They're getting banned, you know, some of their mm -hmm. stuff. And it's like, you know, it just, it, it, he's going through a lot to do what he does, but look, you know, he's like a small businessman. It's like Murph and I independent, you know, now we're small business people. Mm -hmm. So go support, go support your small business people. Go support Adam Bailey, AKA chocolate operator. In fact, you'll find him in other places as real chocolate operator. We'll mm -hmm. put this stuff in our show notes. So, Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed that. If you do, go over to that Spotify, go over to that Apple, hit those five stars. It's magic. It's David Copperfield, David Blaine, Magic Kingdom. We don't know how it works. We just know that it does. Head on over to GameOfCrimesPodcast.com for more information about the show. We will be updating it as we go along. And then, as you found out, social media. We're not as big as uh, Adam is, you know, and those guys are. But Game of Crimes, at Game of Crimes on Twitter, Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook, and the Instagram but Patreon, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. We have a ton of good stuff coming out for you every single month. Every Absolutely. single month, we are putting out content, hours of content just for you. So head on over to patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. And as always, thank you guys once again for playing the biggest, baddest, most dangerous, and social media, Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook, and YouTube, and Instagram-friendly game of all, the Game of Crimes.